Toronto, Garrett Wheeler with you. A beautiful Tuesday in, around, and across the GTA. Coming up later this hour, the debut of a new segment we've been toying with here on Toronto Today. It's called WTF. Those stories out there that just make you say, what the? We'll show you what it's all about a little bit later on this hour. And Rick Westhead, TSN senior correspondent, will preview his new piece, The First Family, the TSN original, will air on the 6 p.m. edition of Sports Center on Wednesday. Uh, Rick will tell you what that's all about and how he was drawn to this story in about 28 minutes' time. The phone lines are open as they are. I, I teed it up in the last segment. Thanks again to Scotty Mitchell for joining me in studio. Is Aaron Judge already the face of Major League Baseball? Seems a little premature to me. Way too premature to me. But have your say, 416-870-1050. That's 416-870-1050. Toll free at 1-855-591-6876. That is 1-855-591-6876. The text is 105050. The email live at tsn1050.ca. You know where to find me on Twitter, at WheelerTSN. I'll get back into some of your Marcus Stroman comments that were sent in in a few moments' time. But Aaron Judge last night put on a show. Um, the Home Run Derby isn't for me. Uh, all-star games aren't necessarily my thing. It's not as if I ignore them. It's just not a priority for me. There was no Chris Berman last night. But Aaron Judge put on a show. And by all accounts, good night for Major League Baseball. When you have a rookie sensation burst on the scene and do things that make your jaw drop, jaw drop that is, uh, that's a good thing. And I'm not trying to take away from anything that Aaron Judge has been able to accomplish this year. I mean, 30 home runs, 66 RBI, a, a 329 average, a 1139 OPS, 691 slugging. Like, he's been a stud. And a big part of the New York Yankees bouncing back. And good, and good on him. Because he was a player last year. He struck out half of his at-bats in the bigs. He still struck out 109 times this year. But he does things that are special. The long ball always matters. As much as baseball hipsters try to tell you, oh, it's all about small ball, advancing the runner. You know, a double's better than a home run. Whatever. The home run sells. It speaks volumes. Over the course of, of, of my days watching baseball, I mean, the stories that made everyone stop were the players hitting home runs. Barry Bonds, working in the Sports Center newsroom, the, the entire newsroom would stop. And there was a time where you would cut into San Francisco Giants baseball games from whatever else you were broadcasting just to show Barry Bonds and his insane pursuit of the home run record, and him eclipsing that and just everything to do with it. Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa. I mean, these are the heydays of Major League Baseball. Some of those special moments that I remember. So the long ball matters, and Aaron Judge, can you go yard with the best of them? But does that make him the face of Major League Baseball already? I'll I'll play you two, two clips, okay? Because this shows you where we're at right now. And in sports, 
there's going to be hype. Things might be overblown. You know, just the cliches will be thrown out there. And things will be greatly exaggerated. But here's two different clips, okay? Here's Buster Olney guesting on Naylor and Landsberg this morning. Um, discussing Aaron Judge and kind of waxing poetic about what the player's all about. Aaron Judge is baseball Superman right now because of how far he can hit a ball and because he's so big. And here's the other cool part about it. He is a sincerely good person. Like, he's a super nice person. Um, you know, and moving forward, you know, what, a, what, better, what better personality to have than that? Yeah, does being a good guy mean you're the face of Major League Baseball? I mean, last hour we were talking Marcus Stroman, who's being called a jerk. It doesn't seem to matter. As long as your fans like him. That's kind of like the resounding message that was sent by you, the listener. So the good guy thing, whatever, but Superman for a rookie? I mean, that speaks volumes, especially when so many people had questions about Aaron Judge just at the end of last season. So that was Buster Olney. Then here's A-Rod, Alex Rodriguez. And you know when A-Rod says something, you have to take it at face value. He never lies. Never, ever, ever lies. Here's A-Rod last night, and, and listen to who he compares Aaron Judge to. For the first time in a long time, we have a, a LeBron James type of personality and size that can transcend sport. Here's a guy who's six foot seven, 275 pounds, 9% body fat, 32-inch vertical. <laughs> the guy bench presses 400 pounds, squats 500 pounds, and, and, and he's, he's an amazing figure. I mean, and for the next generation to say, well, there's a guy that could be a tight end and an all-pro, and he chose baseball. Why can't I? And hopefully the kids are taking notes of Aaron Judge. The LeBron James of Major League Baseball in terms of physicality, in terms of presence. Does anyone care what these guys can bench? How much their body fat is? Like, this is baseball after all. I'm not sure if any of those things matter. I think that this is just out of control hype about a New York Yankees player. And I don't know why this works this way for Major League Baseball and no other sport. LeBron James plays in Cleveland. Cleveland. No one's saying that Jose Ramirez or or Edwin Encarnacion now or Corey Kluber. No one's overhyping these players because they play in Cleveland. It's just whenever the player wears pinstripes, we need to go, go all goo-goo gaga over them. Why? It's because they play for the Yankees? Like Major League Baseball right now, in all due respect, with all due respect to Aaron Judge, we have Mike Trout, we have Bryce Harper, and a number of other players who should and could very well be in contention as the face of Major League Baseball. Why does Mike Trout need to be a member of the New York Yankees to be the face of Major League Baseball? If you are that good, shouldn't that just matter the most? So what makes Major League Baseball different? That if you're a New York Yankee, oh, you're the face. Chris Bryant, like, you won the World Series with the Chicago Cubs. Anthony Rizzo, John Le- Take your pick. Why can't one of those guys be the face of Major League Baseball? They just won a World Series, and they're playing in a big market, Chicago, for a legendary ball club, the Cubs. So what makes Aaron Judge all that? It's been a great half season, but that's all he's played. Can we just slow down just a little bit in terms of this 
hype train. It's not all aboard. It's not choo-choo. Let's just take an H. Are you with me on this? 416-870-1050. 416-870-1050 and toll free at 1-855-591-6876. The text is 105050. This is the other thing, and, and, and Scotty alluded to this when he was in studio with me last hour. Major League Baseball does a job, bad job marketing their athletes. Is that really the case? And this is why I'll suggest that it's not necessarily on Major League Baseball to market. I, I, I think it's truly because baseball is a regional sport. And all that fans care about is their team. If you are a fan of the Blue Jays, the Nationals, the Mets, the Yankees, the Red Sox, what have you, you are watching your team play. You can't watch other games in Major League Baseball over the course of the season because you play freaking every day. 162. It is a full-time commitment to support, to cheer on your team. So the marketing in Major League Baseball, that comes from a local level. That comes from a local perspective. So we go crazy. There's pushes to get Blue Jays players into the All-Star game. It happened with Justin Smoke this year. He didn't need any help because he's had a really great year. Michael Saunders last year. You Blue Jays fans got Michael Saunders, a guy who's now playing in AAA, into the All-Star game. Marketing is done so on a local level in Major League Baseball. I don't hold it against the sport. I just have realistic expectations about what Major League Baseball can or cannot do. But the New York Yankees are apparently the one team that transcends all. As a Blue Jays fan out there, doesn't that make you sick to a certain degree? That your guy, whether it be Josh Donaldson or Edwin when he was here, these guys aren't being hyped in the same way. And you know what? They never will be. Because apparently, in order to be the LeBron James of Major League Baseball or Superman of Major League Baseball, you need to be a member of the New York Yankees. I'm not buying it. I'm not having it. I think just this overhype of this player, it's not right. It's setting the player up for potential disaster. Like, what if Aaron Judge starts striking out every two at-bats like he did at the end of last year? Like, we haven't even seen this guy play a full season in Major League Baseball. And already he's LeBron James. Baseball doesn't work like that. So, so share your thoughts at Wheeler TSN on Twitter. The text is 105050. The email live at tsn1050.ca, 416-870-1050. And toll free at 1-855-591-6876. Also wanted to get into some Raptors. I, I thought yesterday's show was solid. We talked basically hoops for two, two hours. We talked about the Canada under-19 World Cup victory. And what that actually meant, considering Canada ended up winning a tournament that very few, if anyone, knew that the tournament was going on. I mean, I I didn't. Like, I feel disappointed that I wasn't able to go on that journey with R.J. Barrett and company en route to doing something that Canadian basketball has never done. And that was winning a gold medal at a FIBA event. 
I, I mean, it was spectacular. It was great. Proud of the accomplishments. But I didn't get the full experience because that tournament isn't covered like the World Juniors in hockey, for example, are covered. And the organization hasn't really promoted them. And I, I question about the marketplace, the appetite to consume. There's a lot of reasons why I don't think that we took full advantage of this incredible athletic accomplishment by a team representing our country. And we talked about the Toronto Raptors, because of course over the weekend, Damari Carroll, Corey Joseph sent out, joining Patrick Patterson and P.J. Tucker as departures from the Toronto Raptors this offseason. C.J. Miles is coming in. Other than that, no other changes. So it's hard for me to say that the Raptors are improved, because of... As of right now, they are not. There's still work to be done for the Toronto Raptors. But it was Damari Carroll's parting shots. His words in conversation with the Toronto Suns' Ryan Wolstadt. Uh, The Waz chatted with Damari Carroll before anyone else did. And Carroll said, look, like the ISO ball didn't really work. The chemistry within the room... It was an issue at times. It's come out that he was the guy that brought up the fact that there was a heated film session after the loss in Milwaukee. He was regularly in the media's ear. Um, A lot has been said about Damari Carroll, but I think his words do matter. And some people are brushing aside his thoughts on the Raptors as a guy that's leaving the Raps with sour grapes, trying to find excuses on why things didn't work here in Toronto. I've said this from the get-go. Damari Carroll, that signing by Masai Ujiri and company, it was worthwhile. It was the proper fit. It simply just didn't work out because the player, for me, is damaged goods. He's not healthy. The Brooklyn Nets don't care, care about bringing in an injured player. It was about the draft picks that they got. They came along with Damari Carroll so they can start stockpiling assets for the future. Like, Carroll's just a, a, a line note. He's just a guy that you have to pay over the short term. To me, he's completely damaged goods. But that, that, that's why when he discusses the chemistry within the room and what went wrong with the Raptors, I think there could be something to it. Here was Damari Carroll. He ended up guesting on the Scott MacArthur show with Scott MacArthur, uh, with, sorry, Mike Hogan and Josh Lewenberg yesterday. And he took a much more soft approach than he did on the print side, but here's kind of what he had to say about what didn't work out in Toronto. I think that was the biggest thing, too. You know, there's a lot of factors, you know, but at the end of the day, it was a lot of factors with the style of play, the ISO ball. I'm definitely not an ISO player. I'm definitely not a one-on-one player. I'm more of a slasher, knockdown three-pointer, and play defense. My game is really simple, Um, but, you know, slashing, I really couldn't do a lot of that, you know, because we saw ISO, and we, we do a lot of our offense in the mid-range. But um, at the end of the day, it was a lot of factors. But, you know, you can't look at it and point fingers at nobody. And I can I can only look myself in the mirror and say I need to get better and, and do what I need to do. So uh, I'm definitely not pointing fingers at anybody. I'm just going to continue to keep working. And uh, But it was a lot of factors, and i got to keep trying to move forward. So, you know, he's kind of contrite. He acknowledges that he didn't live up to his side of the bargain as well. But it doesn't take Damari Carroll to realize that the Raptors need to change the way they play. Like Masai Ujiri said that on this very station, that there's, this is going to be a challenge 
for the Toronto Raptors. But here's my question for you. And 416-870-1050 and toll-free at 1-855-591-6876. Can Dwayne Casey, Kyle Lowry, and DeMar DeRozan, can they settle that? Can they solve that issue? Or do you need a new coach, new players, in order for these issues to be rectified? Because ISO ball and perceived selfishness on the court, I mean, the players are the ones that are on the court, and if they don't trust the other players, well, that's a problem. If the players are inherently selfish, and, and, and I'm not talking like selfish individuals, but selfish on the court, either they want to get theirs, they believe it's better off being in their hands than someone else. Like the biggest criticism of the Raptors is they don't share the ball. Well, why is that? Is the coaching staff not telling them to share the rock? No, that cannot be the case. So it could be the players dreading out the coaching staff and doing what they do. If that's the case, then it's a big decision bringing back Kyle Lowry three years, $33.3 million, if he's not going to play a team game. I love Kyle Lowry, the player. I really do. So this isn't an anti-Kyle Lowry sentiment. But... Asking someone to change their stripes and become a different type of player, you're asking for trouble. For me, you're asking for trouble. You know Kyle Lowry at the age of 31, what he is. He's a pit bull. He's going to work hard on the court. He's got a good three-point jump shot. But is he a guy that's going to share the rock and lead this team in a different direction? I don't think so. I don't know how he can, and I don't know if that's a realistic expectation. Same thing goes for Dwayne Casey. We all know what Dwayne was brought to the Raptors for. A really great defensive coach. A lot of players, a lot of people within the Mavericks organization give Dwayne Casey direct credit for them winning an NBA title. And that's well-deserved, well-warranted. But this team, since he's come here, the offensive sets are very simplistic. And yes, they can score points, but that's basically because of Isobal. The fact that he has some very good players playing for him. I don't see the team executing at a timeouts. Dead ball situations. End of quarters. Again, I don't know whether to blame that on the coaching staff or the players. Because the players need to execute. Is Dwayne Casey, the coach able to bring that out of these guys. I don't know. I don't know. I am surprised. I will tell you this. If we were to to have this conversation the day of or the day after the Cleveland Cavaliers swept away the Toronto Raptors, I would have told you that there was no chance or very slim chance that both Lowry and Casey would have both ended up back with the Toronto Raptors. Yet here we are, both guys. So how can we expect a different result with the same individuals at the helm? Do you believe in that internal growth or the ability to change? Or did they need fresh blood? Someone other than C.J. Miles, one player, to change the direction of this team. And it's not as if they're going off into the hinterland. Like, it's been a pretty good direction. So I guess the better way of putting it is to take that next step. And that's what we're waiting here. We're waiting to see which direction the Raptors take a step. In terms of personnel, it hasn't changed.
Can they do so through internal growth? Can they find it within themselves with the same coach, same leaders on this team, and expect a better result? Let me know. The text is 105050. The email live at uh, tsn1050.ca at WheelerTSN on Twitter. Let's go to the phone lines. Daniel in Toronto. What's going on today, Daniel? Hey, Gareth. How are you today? Good, pal. Where do you want to go with this? Uh, so just a few things. Like I told your uh, producer, I think that you have to take what Damari Carroll says with a grain of salt because he was often injured. And in my opinion, he was a bust. And the reason is because they brought him in to play defense. So him having a conversation about how the offense is run was, was not really their top priority when they signed him to a long-term deal. Um, it was defense, which is what they wanted him. They wanted him to play D, um, be able to cover a three or a four um, lockdown, basically. In terms of the ISO ball, what you're saying, I don't disagree that I don't agree with you, actually, that ISO ball, if you want to use that term, is, a, is, be, is being used because the players are selfish or it turns into that because the players are selfish. I think that these are the plays that are being presented to them. It's usually a high screen you know, up to the guard where they, they just play a simple pick and roll, and other teams are pretty easily be able to uh, understand what the Raptors are going to do. I mean, you know, moving the ball well, it's kind of like playing defense. You're going to want to have to do it, and if these players can't change... Um, then there is a problem, I think, maybe with the coaching or the offensive side of the coaching. Because I'm a Dwayne Casey fan, I really don't, you know, I really don't think that in life, if you are stagnant, you're going to go anywhere. So if these superstars don't understand that they have to adapt and change if something's not working for them, then yeah, there's going to be problems. So you're putting it on the players more so than the coaching staff. No, I think it's a combination of both. Okay. I think that, it, I think that the players have to change, but the coaching staff has to also be more creative. So, so Daniel, how okay if 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 you have the same usual suspects back within this organization, how do they take this, a step forward? Is there a blueprint for success here? The blueprint for success is to change what they do offensively because obviously it's not working for them, um, and have these players buy into what you're trying to sell them. And if they're not buying into what you're trying to sell them, then maybe they got to find a better salesman. Because the players we know are capable. They've got those two players, the one they signed this year and the one they signed last year, DeRozan and Lowry, have gotten better in terms of statistics. They're all stars. They're all stars. And and it's very difficult to acquire two players of that ability at that level. But it's just about how do you get the most out of them? And if they're unwilling or or if the schemes that are drawn up, aren't ones that kind of suit the strengths of these players. Like, Masai said it, there's got to be a cultural reset. Well, it's the same individuals here, isn't there? Like, aren't they? Like, four players left. Were those four players the biggest problems within the team? Like, maybe, maybe. Like, Damari Carroll was a massive failure. Corey Joseph had a little bit of a down year. Patrick Patterson couldn't make an outside shot. Every time the ball came to him, he got, like, he looked scared to take a shot by the end of the year. And P.J. Tucker, there's no way about it. That is a significant blow, a player like him not coming back. So is it addition through subtraction? Like, how do you replace that if it isn't? Well, I think that if you're making a cultural change, Gareth, right, then the environment around the people is almost, you know, I would say 70% of responsible of changing that culture. It's like if we have a political change in a country, then most likely a lot of the culture will change because of the leadership that you put in place. And we have to adapt the citizens to it. So so do these employees to their management. I, you know, Like I said, I love Dwayne Casey. I'm a defense-first guy, but I think he's on a short leash. Good stuff, Daniel. Thanks for your phone call, pal. Appreciate it. 
Uh, full lines are always open here on Toronto Today, 416-870-1050, toll-free at 1-855-591-6876. want to spin back real quickly to the Aaron Judge conversation. For me, it's, it's just overhype of the kid. He hasn't even played a full season of Major League Baseball, calling him the next LeBron James, calling him Superman premature. Still ready, and didn't he break Joe DiMaggio's record? Yeah, that's a New York Yankees record. I understand why he's being celebrated, but there's hyping a guy and then taking it too far. And I think we've gone way too far too soon. It was a rookie record, by the way. But Albert, and a couple people have written this in, Aaron Judge being the face of baseball is the same as Austin Matthews being the face of hockey. It's all about the hype machine that is the organization. And I don't think that's necessarily fair. I don't think that Austin Matthews is the face of hockey. Maybe someday he can be, but I don't think he is right now. That's McDavid. That's Crosby. Like, as good as Austin Matthews was this past year, he hasn't supplanted or taking the place of other guys, like it's being suggested that Aaron Judge is more of a name, a bigger influence on the game of baseball than Bryce Harper, than Mike Trout. Like, I I just don't see it. It's too much too soon from where I sit. Continue to share your thoughts at Wheeler TSN. The text is 1050.50. The email live at tsn1050.ca. Rick Westhead, TSN senior correspondent, will preview his latest Peace, his latest TSN original, The First Family, which will feature tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Sports Center. Rick will join me in studio. Then it's the premiere, the debut of WTF. All that coming up. Gareth Wheeler with you. Toronto Today, TSN 1050. Now, back to Toronto Today. The debut of the premiere of WTF. We'll explain it a little bit later on, but it's coming up before the top of the clock. This is Toronto Today. Gareth Wheeler with you at Wheeler TSN on Twitter. Our team here at TSN does some outstanding work. The TSN original series is something that a lot of people within this building are rightfully very proud of. Digging deep, it's the storytelling aspect. And the way that these stories come together, you watch them on SportsCenter, you watch them online on tsn.ca, it's nothing short of breathtaking. Rick Westhead is a big part of that, our TSN senior correspondent, and his latest TSN original, The First Family, uh, will be able to be seen Wednesday on the 6 p.m. edition of SportsCenter. It surrounds the Guriel family, the first family of Cuban baseball who went from being basically royalty in the country to being being seen through a much different lens today as Yuli Goriel, you saw him with the Houston Astros last weekend against the Toronto Blue Jays, um, defected along with Lourdes Goriel Jr., a Toronto Blue Jays prospect. So we're going to bring Rick in at our Westhead on Twitter and ask him about this feature and what drew him to the story. And let's start right there. Hey, Rick, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great, Gareth. Um, what drew you to this story? Why is this one? Because you come across a lot of interesting pieces, Rick. But why was this something that stuck with you? Well, it's interesting. The, the, the story actually started but when the family was promising not to defect. And so I thought it was really interesting to profile a family that had so much baseball pedigree. I mean, Lourdes Sr. 
was a star player for Cuba in the 1980s. He helped Cuba win a gold medal in the Olympics in 1992. Um, you know, when I was walking down the street in Havana with him, it was like walking through the streets of downtown Montreal with Jean Beliveau. Uh, he could not walk a city block without people coming up and asking for his autograph and shaking his hands and just wanting to be around him. And so I was really curious about that sense of loyalty that the family had for the Cuban uh, government, for Fidel Castro's government, and where it came from. Of course, Yulieski and uh, Lourdes, as you just mentioned, both really good ball players. A third son, Yulieski, also played in Cuba's top baseball league. So uh, we went down there. We, you know, we we built a relationship with the family, and then next thing you know, the two brothers defect, and it just really. Again, we wanted to have an understanding for, at that point, for how things changed so fast, how you could go from having a family that was so, you know, so loyal for so many years, and what changed, what was the spark that caused them to to, to walk away from Cuba and and go for the millions of dollars that both of those two sons are now making uh, in Major League Baseball. Yeah, I guess it's the good old story of loyalty versus, you know, change for financial gain. Is it as simple as that, Rick? I know the story is going to be told and unveiled through the TSN original, but, I mean, is that what it comes down to, the temptation of riches in something else in a different country? Uh, I think that the money obviously plays into this in a huge way. Uh, Cuba's got a really interesting perspective, uh, the, the government, I mean. They, they really do leverage that sense of loyalty with players uh, as, as they're coming up through their system. And, you know, the, this, the message that they send to players is, if you go, you won't be welcome back. So consider that. You, you might have more money. You might live in some of the biggest and, you know, most expensive poshest cities in North America, but you won't see your family again. And all those things that are so familiar about Cuba that make it home, you'll have to say goodbye to them. And, uh, you know, for instance, I, I'm, we did an interview with the Cuban Baseball Federation president, and we, we asked him, you know, what about the idea of we, we seem to have come forward a little bit, uh, and we get into this in the story, the back and forth in terms of the warming and chilling relationship between the United States and Cuba. Right. And we, we were asking, could you envision a time when players like Puig or Chapman will be on the Cuban national team again? How amazing would that be? And he turned around. We had a, a three-person crew from Canada, and he pointed to our cameraman, and he said, well, let me ask you a question. If you guys were on a shoot, you come down to Cuba, you spend the money, the time and the energy to come down here and film down here, how would you feel if midway through your shoot, your cameraman said he was quitting and going to join another TV network that day uh, and leaving you in the lurch. And he said that's the attitude that the Cuban Baseball Federation has towards these players. They often leave during um, international tournaments, and uh, the Federation's argument is they, they, they leave their teammates in the lurch. And so for that reason, they aren't welcome to go back and, uh, and play for the national team anymore. Uh, you know, it, it, the other thing that's really interesting about this is just the method of defecting. It's not like players who want to leave and defect hop on a flight and go from Havana to New York. This is a real perilous journey. 
they uh, often will get in a dinghy and either try to make their way straight to Florida or go through human smugglers and go through Mexican, Mexico or, or Haiti, trying to get the Dominican Republic and be declared a resident there and able to sign as a, as a free agent. Uh, and we've got some pretty interesting historical anecdotes to draw on, too. The, there's been a case in Miami, Florida, where an agent, Bart Hernandez, uh, faced human smuggling charges for this very thing. So the, the the flight from Cuba is a dangerous one, and though there might be a lot of riches at the end, uh, getting them and making it to MLB is, is, is no easy task. Rick Westhead joining us here on Toronto Today. I'm Wheels. His TSN original, The First Family, airs tomorrow on the 6 p.m. edition of SportsCenter. Um, it looked like Cuban, and, and you kind of touched on this, Cuban-American relationships were going in a positive direction under Obama. It doesn't look like that will continue under the presidency of Donald Trump. So I wonder what that means for the potential future of this story where there may have been an olive branch that could have been kind of extended on both sides of the equation to kind of ease some of the tension between the betrayal that many Cubans feel uh, in a situation like this. But, but, but that might not end up playing out after all, Rick. No, that's right. Whatever olive branch had been extended... Uh, by the Obama government has been burned uh, to cinders by the Trump administration. And, you know, just just the little things. One, it, It's a real privilege to be able to go down as a journalist and, and do digging around and talking to players. We spoke to a bunch of players who were not just in Cuba's, you know, top league, but also guys who are aspiring to get there. We went to some little league games and watched 10 and 11 year old Cuban players uh, playing in tournaments. And I'll just, I'll just share a quick anecdote. One of the really interesting things is after a player defects, they literally disappear. Um, you can watch major league baseball games in Cuba. You just can't watch any of the teams who have players starring for them who've defected. So no LA Dodgers games because Puig is starring there. No Houston Astro games will be on the air in Cuba because of Yulievsky Guriel. So the way that families and baseball fans, uh, fans deal with this is every week they'll take a USB stick and they'll go into their corner store in whatever community they live in and they'll be able to buy, uh, you know, MPEG files, video files of all the Major League Baseball games for the previous week, all of them for every team. So that's how fans, even though the government takes a hard line and doesn't put any MLB games on TV if they have defectors, the fans have found a way to get around that using modern technology. Let's be honest here, like making a move like the Gurriels did, it doesn't come without risk. Yes, there's financial gain to be had, but like you said, Rick, like they left a life where their name, their family, family was Cuban royalty. So th- there has to be some sort of risk, not only going through the sketchiness of how to defect, how to get out of Cuba, but what they ended up giving up to try to create a, a better or a different life. Yeah, and the risk was paramount. I mean, we, we get into, uh, in the story, the family's reaction. Lourdes Guriel Sr. had no idea that his sons were going to, going to defect. Really? And he did not react well to it when they did. So we kind of cover off that topic and try to help people understand what the consequences were within the family. It didn't just, you know, obviously it shook the whole country. It was international news when they defected. It also shook and, you know, reverberated within the Guriel family as as established as they are in, in Cuba. So 
you know, there were, were, were clear risks, not just from a safety perspective, but also risks for what it would do to a family. Um, Yulieski was a good enough player that he was able to play over in Japan for a few years. The government, you know, as a reward for so many uh, years of, of, of good performance on the field in Cuba, allowed him to go abroad. Uh, that relationship obviously uh blew up when when he defected and uh and they really have gone from being national heroes to national traitors almost overnight. So uh, let's end on this. Did you do you end up catching up with Lourdes to see how his transitions being like I haven't really been following him if I'm going to be honest, but where is he now? Like how is the adjustment being and is it is it worth, you know, defecting and and, and breaking violating family trust and and betraying a country? I mean, I I'm I'm intrigued to hear about where he is today. Well, he's uh he's in Dunedin, uh you know, playing A-level ball. He's dealt with some injuries through the first half of the season. Of course, in January he signed a 7-year, 22 million dollar contract with the Blue Jays. And the the fact that he signed with the Blue Jays actually made it a, a story that that we could pursue a little easier. It was in a little easier sell to say we want to really showcase and help Blue Jays fans understand you know who this guy is and who his family is and and what the backstory is um he's got some pretty ambitious goals in terms of when he hopes to be in MLB uh maybe not as ambitious as Vladimir Guerrero Jr who you know when we did a feature on him told us he hoped to be in the majors as a teenager uh but uh nevertheless i i i think I think injuries really did slow down Guriel Jr. Uh, for the first half, so we'll just watch and see how he uh, performs in that evening in the second half here. Congrats on this endeavor. Looking forward to watching it tomorrow night. The first family, the 6 p.m. edition of Sports Center. Rick, always a pleasure. Thanks for this. Okay, thanks, man. TSN senior correspondent. Great guy, too, by the way. Rick Westhead joining us here on Toronto Today at R Westhead on Twitter. It's an interesting question, like, for anyone. Would you give up royalty status, like being the big fish in a small pond, in order to chase either the money, the fame, or a new or different life somewhere else? Like, living in Dunedin, a lot different than living in Havana. Um, and it doesn't come without risks. I know seven years, multi-million dollar contract, that's fine. That's money. But what are you giving up to pursue that? It's an incredible sacrifice that these two brothers made. And I can't wait to see and watch this story tomorrow on SportsCenter. We debut WTF, those stories that make you say, what the? All that. Coming up next, this is Toronto Today, TSN 1050. This is Toronto Today, TSN 1050. What's up, Toronto? Gareth Wheeler with you. We'll hand things off to Mike Hogan. Sitting in for Scott MacArthur. It is the Scott MacArthur Show coming up at the top of the clock. Um, Oftentimes, shows try out new segments. We're going to try to work this in because the world's gone crazy. Like, the world has literally gone mad. And that includes the sports world as well. There's always those stories that just make you shake your head. Because of the incredible, because of the inconceivable, because of the incoherent. 
All these stories continue to percolate, and we simply need to make time on a daily basis to bring you up to speed on all that fodder that all of us snicker at. Here is the debut of WTF. What the? F- they defeat the Toronto Blue Jays 19 to one. Oh, that's nasty. You come to the rink to see something maybe you've never seen before, and that might be one of those moments. It's only two dudes better than me, and I'm both of them. Stay off the weed. W-T-F. Yeah, this segment might have you saying WTF, but we'll try it out. Gareth Wheeler with you. Keith Bauer behind the glass. Scrizzy as per usual. Uh, let's start off batting leadoff. Pitbull last night. Mr. Worldwide. What's the deal with this cat? I don't get his music, but did you see what he was wearing last night? It was like an adult extra small Miami Marlins jersey. That's that's not a good look for anyone. Why would it have someone given him a regular size jersey to wear? I don't I, I don't get it. Keith, help I me just out think, here. I just think for somebody who's in that position, whom who's as famous a celebrity as Pitbull is, I mean these guys can wear whatever they want and get away with it. I mean, you look at even Ezekiel Elliott and what he was wearing. The crop like, top. Yeah, like it's not many people can get away with that, but, you know, more power to them. I was ask, actually asking more questions about why he was wearing like the OJ gloves, the black gloves. They're like batting gloves. You were singing. Why did he need to wear the creepy OJ gloves? I don't know. Like, Maybe I'm just not in Pitbull's demo. Well, I clearly am not in his demo. But that get-up last night, and this is coming from a guy with questionable style selections and choices, that was suspect at best. That tight tuck as well. Woo! Pitbull last night. Uh, MB, Joel Embiid last night. Okay, so he's in the outfield catching balls, home run balls. He actually caught two balls in the home run derby. Um, is that selfish? And hear me out. He is like a seven foot two dude surrounded by a bunch of just people that are there to see the show, potentially catch a baseball. He is hoarding. He's taking away from the enjoyment of others, not only because he's blocking anyone that's behind him because he's so tall, but he's got that wingspan. He's got that reach. He can reach like five seats over and take the ball away from other people. And he caught a ball. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, though. I mean, I'm not a seven foot two Joel Embiid, but I'm six four. I enjoy to go. I enjoy going to Jays games, and while I will get in the way of people with my height, there's nothing I can do about that. And even if I may be ruined, it's not something I'm doing intentionally. So why should I have to adjust my enjoyment to cater to somebody see, else? See, but, but this guy's an NBA star or potential star or in the process of being a star. Nice. Maybe I'm more insulted the fact that he was hanging with Meek Mill. Was he really? I didn't see that. Yeah, he was with Meek Mill. I thought this whole Meek Mill thing was done. I get he's a Philly guy. It's never done. Scrizzy, it's not done? No, he's got an album coming out soon. He's actually set up his game since Drake murdered him. So In in, in a good way? Yeah. Is he respectable? Yeah, he's he's stepping his game up a bit. Okay. We've all had our moments with edibles, right? Like weed brownies, right? Like haven't we all had issues or something happened when you eat a weed brownie? Well... Highly regarded 
or very popular sports broadcasts, they've gone down the same road. Joe Buck on the Dan Lebitard show. Talk about the one time and what happened when he was mowing down on weed brownies in Cabo. I had that's a mistake. A brownie and a half, and then we all got in the car, not driving. We were driven down to this bar in Cabo. And as I'm driving down there, as I'm riding down there, I'm trying to text somebody, and then the letters start, like, flying off my phone into my face. And I'm like, oh, this is not going to be good. We show up. There's a bachelorette party going on, you know. I'm, I'm just, I'm scared. I'm frightened, and and I, I'm avoiding them. And then I sit down, and I can't feel my legs. And I talked to the guy that drove us down there. I said, I need to leave right now. He was drinking a Coca-Cola, and and I said, I need, I need to drink that, and I got to get out of here right now. And uh, so he he helps me to my feet. We stagger to the, I we, I, I somehow magically get down the steps and to the exit. I think we're going to go right. He thinks we're going to go left. He pulls me left as I go right. I pass out. I go un- I pass out onto the ground. <laughs> go under a rope with my head hanging off into the marina. Uh, I, I damn near died. I had a dream while I was down there. I popped up and I went from completely out of it to completely sober worrying that within the next four minutes it was going to pop up on Deadspin that I just went down at a bar in Cabo. <laughs> what a story. And it did end up on Deadspin today. Just delayed. I mean, this is the thing, people. You think some of these sports guys are straight edge or very conservative? Joe Buck in Cabo. I guess what happens in Cabo doesn't stay in Cabo. Um, Joe Buck, if, if you like him as a broadcaster, I mean, how can you not like that story? That was incredible. Chris Christie, the governor of New Jersey. What about him as a sports broadcaster? Like, he is a 15% approval rating in Jersey. 15%? That's less than Kathleen Wynne up here in the province of Ontario. So he's going to be in need of a new job very soon. He participated in a tryout to be the host for New Jersey's WFAN sports radio station. Mike Francesa is scheduled to leave the station in December after 28 years. Maybe Christie will get a shot. We'll see. I mean, his run could potentially end in January. So he tried out. He was doing a sports radio tryout on WFAN. Uh, didn't go so well. Mike and Montclair. What's up, Mike? Governor, next time you want to sit on a beach... That is closed to the entire world except you. Yeah. You put your fat ass in a car and go to hey. one that's open to all your constituents. Uh, well, you know, not just you and yours. Interesting, Mike. You know what? That what's beach, that? that? What's beach, that, Gov? You know, Mike. I love I love getting calls from communists in Montclair. Communists in, in Montclair. Montclair. You know, you're a bully, you governor, are, you know, no, and I don't what? like bullies. You know what? And listen, I'm not the one who came on the air. Hey, hold on, Mike. Mike, I'm not the guy who came on the air, swore on the air. And so you did. I, 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 the heck out yeah, of you. you know, you're swearing on the air, Mike. You're 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 a bum. You know, so you let's so let's just go, go, but, oh bad optics, okay? Mike. And I'd love to come look at your optics every day, buddy. Oh, that's you know what, and you know what, Mike. What matters is what you do. That's what matters. And what have you done? <laughs> what I just did was stop polluting the airways with a guy like that. <laughs> the man of the people. Chris Christie. He called him a communist. A commie. What year is this? 
By the way, that response, what's that, Gov? That should follow Chris Christie around wherever he goes. What's that, Gov? Solid. Uh, Shout out to Rafael Nadal. Tennis players, they have to be the most fit athletes on the planet. Played four hours and 47 minutes of high-caliber tennis at Wimbledon yesterday before losing to Gilles Muller of Germany, the 16th-ranked player. When he was leaving the court, signing autographs. Solid stuff from Rafa Nadal. And the final WTF for today, ran into Stephen Badisher of Toronto FC this morning. He lacerated his pancreas in a soccer game, and he played the rest of the game against the Montreal Impact a couple weeks ago. He's stitched up. He's doing well. It was good to see him back on his feet. The next time that someone tells you soccer's for wimps, Think again, Stephen Betasher, an absolute warrior. That injury made me say WTF. So that was, and those were, your WTFs for the day. Wow, that's messed up. Very messed up. And that's our show today. Mike Hogan, he's on deck. Thanks to Scrizzy. Thanks to Keith Bauer. On behalf of everyone here at TSN 1050, I am Gareth Wheeler, and this is Veen Toronto Today.